0: Chapter 6 of Hereditary Genius by Francis Galton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information on a volunteer, please visit librivox.org. Recorded by Leon Harvey. Chapter 6. The Judges of England between 1660 and 1865 the judges of england since the restoration of the monarchy in 1660 form a group peculiarly well adapted to afford a general outline of the extent and limitations of hereditary in respect to genius a judgeship is a guarantee of its professor being gifted with exceptional ability the judges are sufficiently numerous and prolific to form an adequate basis for statistical inductions and they are the subjects of several excellent biographical treatises it is therefore well to begin our inquiries with a discussion of their relationships we shall quickly arrive at definite results which subsequent chapters treating of more illustrious men and in other careers will check and amplify it is necessary that i should first say something in support of my assertion that the office of a judge is really a sufficient guarantee that its professor is exceptionally gifted in other countries it may be different to what it is with us but we all know that in england the bench is never spoken of without reference to the intellectual power of its occupiers A seat on the bench is a great prize to be won by the best men no doubt there are hindrances external to those of nature against a man getting on at the bar and rising to a judgeship the attorneys may not give him briefs when he is a young barrister and even if he becomes a successful barrister his political party may be out of office for a long period at a time when he was otherwise ripe for advancement i cannot however believe that either of these are serious obstacles in the long run sterling ability is sure to make itself felt and to lead to practice while as to politics the changes of party are sufficiently frequent to give a fair chance to almost every generation for every man who is a judge there may possibly be two other lawyers of the same standing equally fitted for the post but it is hard to believe there can be a larger number if not always the foremost the judges are therefore among the foremost of a vast body of legal men the census speaks of upwards of three thousand barristers advocates and special pleaders and it must be recollected that those who do not consist of three thousand men taken at haphazard but a large part of them are already selected and it is from these by a second process of selection that the judges are mainly derived when i say that a large part of the barristers are selected men i speak of those among them who are of humble parentage but have brilliant natural gifts who attracted notice as boys or it may be even as children and were therefore sent to a good school there they won exhibitions and fitted themselves for college where they supported themselves by obtaining scholarships then came fellowships and so they ultimately found their way to the bar many of these have risen to the bench the parentage of the lord chancellor's justifies my statement there have been thirty of them within the period included in my inquiries of these lord hardwick was the son of a small attorney at dover in narrow circumstances lord eldon whose brother was the great almighty judge lord stowell the son of a coal fitter lord Truro, was the son of a sheriff's officer and lord st leonards like lord Tenerton, and chief justice of common pleas was son of a barber others were sons of clergymen of scanty means others have begun life in alien professions yet notwithstanding their false start have easily recovered lost ground in after life lord Erskine, was first in the navy and then in the army before he became a barrister lord chemsford was originally a midshipman now a large number of men with antecedents as unfavourable to success as these and yet successful men are always to be found at the bar and therefore i say the barristers are themselves a selected body and the fact of every judge having been taken from the foremost rank of three thousand of them is proof that his exceptional ability is of an enormously higher order than if the three thousand barristers had been conscripts drawn by lot from the general mass of their countrymen. I therefore need not trouble myself with quoting passages from biographies to prove that each of the judges whose name I have occasion to mention is a highly gifted man. It is precisely in order to avoid the necessity of this tedious work that I have selected the judges for my first chapter. In speaking of the English judges I have adopted the well known Lives of the Judges by Foss as my guide. It was published in eighteen sixty five, so I have adopted that date as the limit of my inquiries i have considered those only as falling under the definition of judges whom he includes as such they are the judges of the courts of chancery and common law and the masters of the rolls, but not the judges of the admiralty nor of the court of canterbury by the latter limitation i lose the advantage of counting lord stowell brother of lord chancellor eldon the remarkable family of the lushingtons that of sir r Phillimore, and some others though the limitations as regards time i lose by ending with the year eighteen sixty three the recently created judges such as judge selwyn brother of the bishop of lichfield and also professor of divinity at cambridge but i believe from cursory inquiries that the relations of these latter judges speaking generally have not so large a share of eminence as we shall find among those of the judges in my list this might have been expected for it is notorious that the standard of ability in a modern judge is not so high as it used to be the number of exceptionally gifted men being the same it is impossible to supply the new demand for heads of great schools and for numerous other careers now thrown open to able use without seriously limiting the field whence alone good judges may be selected by beginning at the restoration which i took for my commencement because there was frequent jobbery in earlier days i lose a lord keeper of the same rank as lord chancellor and his still greater son also a lord chancellor namely the two bacons i state these facts to show that i have not picked out the period in question because it seemed most favourable to my argument but simply because it appeared the most suitable to bring out the truth as to hereditary genius and was at the same time most convenient for me to discuss there are two hundred and eighty six judges within the limits of my inquiry one hundred and nine of them have one or more eminent relations and three others have relations whom i have noticed but they are marked off with brackets and therefore not to be included in the following statistical deductions as the readiest method of showing at a glance the way in which these relations are distributed i give a table below in which they are all compactly registered the table is a condensed summary of the appendix to the present chapter which should be consulted by the reader whenever he desires fuller information table is displayed on the page table one summary of relationships of one hundred nine judges grouped into eighty five families There are three sections with one relation or two in family two and three relations or three and four in family and four or more relations or five and more in family several remarkable features in the contents of this table will catch the eye at once i will begin by shortly alluding to them and will enter more into details a little further on first it will be observed that the judges are so largely interrelated that 109 of them are grouped into only 85 families there are seventeen doublets among the judges two triplets and one quadruplet in addition to these might be counted six other sets consisting of those whose ancestors sat on the bench previously to the ascension of charles Second, namely Beddingfield, forster hyde finch windham and lighterton another fact to be observed is the nearness of the relationships in my list the single letters are far the most common also though a man has twice as many grandfathers as fathers and probably more than twice as many grandsons as sons yet the judges are found more frequently to have eminent fathers than grandfathers and eminent sons than grandsons in the third degree of relationship the eminent kinsmen are yet more rare although the number of individuals in those degrees is increased in a duplicate proportion when a judge has no more than one eminent relation that relation is nearly always to be found in the first or second degree thus in the first section of the table which is devoted to single relationships though it includes as many as thirty-nine entries there are only two among them viz brown and lord brougham whose kinships extend beyond the second degree it is in the last section of the table which treats of whole families largely gifted with ability that the distant kinships are chiefly to be found I annex a table, table 2, extracted from the preceding one, which exhibits these facts with great clearness. Column A contains the facts just as they were observed, and column D shows the percentage of individuals in each degree of kinship to every 100 judges who have become eminent. Table 2 is displayed on the page. shows several sections with degrees of kinship subdivided to the name of the degree and the corresponding letter. An additional five columns with a b c d and e a number of eminent men in each degree of kinship in the most eminent man of the family eighty five families b the preceding column raised in proportion to one hundred families c number of individuals in each degree of kinship to one hundred men d percentage of eminent men in each degree of kinship to the most eminent member of distinguished families it was obtained by dividing b by c and multiplying by one hundred E percentages of previous column reduced to the proportion of 286-24, or 242-85, to in order to apply to families generally. Table 2 also gives materials for judging of the comparative influence of the male and female lines in conveying ability. Thanks to my method of notation, it is perfectly easy to separate the two lines in the way I am about to explain. I do not attempt to compare relations in the first degree of kinship namely fathers with mothers sons with daughters or brothers with sisters because there exists no criterion for a just comparison of the natural ability of the different sexes nay even if there were means for testing it the result would be fallacious a mother transmits masculine peculiarities to a male child which she does not and cannot possess and similarly a woman who is endowed with fewer gifts of a masculine type than her husband May yet contribute in a larger degree to the masculine intellectual superiority of her son i therefore shift my inquiry from the first to the second and the third degrees of kinship as regards the second degree i compare the paternal grandfather with the maternal an uncle by the father's side with the uncle by the mother's the nephew by the brother's side with the nephew by the sisters and the grandson by the son with the grandson by the daughter on the same principle i compare the kinships in the third degree that is to say, the father with the father's father, with the father of the mother's mother, and so on. The whole of the work is distinctly exposed to view in the following compact table. In the second degree, 7 uppercase G plus 9 uppercase U plus 14 uppercase N plus 11 uppercase P equals 41 kinships through males. 6 lowercase g. Plus six lowercase u plus two lowercase n plus five lowercase p equals nineteen kinships through females. In the third degree, one uppercase gf plus one uppercase gb plus five uppercase us plus seven uppercase ns plus two uppercase ps equals nineteen kinships through males. Zero lowercase g upper f plus zero lower g upper b plus one lower u uppercase s plus zero lower n upper s plus zero lower p upper s equals one kinships through females total sixty through males twenty through females the numbers are too small to warrant any very decided conclusion but they go far to prove that the female influence is inferior to that of the male in conveying ability it must however be observed that the difference between the totals in the second degree is chiefly due to the nephews a relationship difficult to trace on the female side because as a matter of fact biographers do not speak so fully of the descendants of the sisters of their hero as that of his brothers as regards the third degree the relationships on the female side are much more difficult to ferret out than those on the male and i have no doubt i have omitted many of them in my earlier attempts the balance stood still more heavily against the female side and it has been reduced exactly in proportion to the number of times i have revised my data consequently though i first suspected a large residuum against the female line i think there is reason to believe the influence of females but little inferior to that of males in transmitting judicial ability it is of course a grief to me in writing this book that circumstances make it impossible to estimate the influence of the individual peculiarities of the mother for good or for bad upon her offspring They appear to me, for the reasons stated, to be as important elements in the inquiry as those of the father, and yet I am obliged to completely ignore them in a large majority of instances, on account of the lack of reliable information. Nevertheless, I have numerous arguments left to prove that genius is hereditary. Before going further, I must entreat my readers to abandon any objection which very likely may present itself to their minds, and which I can easily show to be untenable people who do not realize the nature of my arguments have constantly spoken to me to this effect it is of no use your quoting successes unless you take failures into equal account eminent men may have eminent relations but they also have very many who are ordinary or even stupid and there are not a few who are either eccentric or downright mad i perfectly allow all this but it does not in the least affect the cogency of my arguments If a man breeds from strong well-shaped dogs but of mixed pedigree puppies will be sometimes but rarely the equals of their parents they will commonly be of a mongrel nondescript type because ancestral peculiarities are apt to crop out in the offspring yet notwithstanding all this it is easy to develop the desirable characteristics of individual dogs into the assured heirloom of a new breed the breeder selects the puppies that most nearly approach the wished-for type generation after generation until they have no ancestor within many degrees that has objectionable peculiarities so it is with men and women because one or both of a child's parents are able it does not in the least follow as a matter of necessity but only as one of moderately unfavourable odds that the child will be able also he inherits an extraordinary mixture of qualities displayed in his grandparents great-grandparents and more remote ancestors as well as from those of his father and mother the most illustrious and so-called well-bred families of the human race are utter mongrels as regards the natural gifts of intellect and disposition what i profess to prove is this that if two children are taken of whom one is a parent exceptionally gifted in a high degree say as one in four thousand or is one in a million and the other has not the former child has an enormous greater chance of turning out to be gifted in a high degree than the other also i argue that as a new race can be obtained from in animals and plants and can be raised and so great a degree of purity that it will maintain itself with moderate care in preventing the more faulty members of the flock from breeding so a race of gifted men might be obtained under exactly similar conditions i must apologize for anticipating in this off-hand and very imperfect manner the subject of a further chapter by these few remarks but i am really obliged to do so knowing from experience how tenaciously strangers to be reasoning by which the laws hereditary are established are inclined to prejudge my conclusions by blindly assisting that the objection to which i have referred has overbearing weight i will now proceed with an examination of what may be learned from the relationships of the judges first i would ask are the abler judges more rich in eminent relations than those who are less able there are two ways of answering this question one is to examine into the relationships of the law lords as compared with that of the pucine judges or of the chancellors compared with that of the judges generally and the other is to determine whether or no the persons whose names are entered in the third column of table one are above the average of judges in respect to ability here are a few of the lord chancellors there are only thirty of those high legal officers within the limits of my inquiry yet twenty four of these have eminent relations whereas out of the two hundred eighty six minus thirty or two hundred and fifty six other judges only one hundred and fourteen minus twenty four or ninety have eminent relations there are therefore eighty per cent of the chancellors as compared to thirty six per cent of the rest of the judges that have eminent relations the proportion would have been greater had compared the chancellors or the chancellors with the other law lords with the percene judges the other test i proposed is equally satisfactory there can be no doubt of the exceptionally eminent ability of the men whose names appear in the third column to those who object to my conclusion because lord chancellors have more opportunities of thrusting relatives by jobbery into eminence than are possessed by the other judges i can do no more than refer them to what i have already said about the reputation being a test of ability and by giving a short list of the more remarkable cases of relations to the lord chancellors which i think will adequately meet their objection they are one earl bathurst and his daughter's son the famous judge sir f buller two earl camden and his father chief justice pratt three earl Clarendon and the remarkable family of hyde in which were two uncles and one cousin all english judges besides one welsh judge and many other men of the distinction four earl cowper his brother the judge and his great nephew the poet five earl eldon and his brother lord Stowell; six lord erskine his eminent legal brother the lord advocate of scotland and his son the judge seven earl nottingham and the most remarkable family of finch eight nine ten earl hardwick and his son also a lord chancellor who died suddenly and that son's great-uncle lord somers also a lord chancellor eleven lord herbert his son a judge his cousins lord herbert of cherbury and george the poet and divine twelve lord king and his uncle lord locke the philosopher thirteen the infamous but most able lord jeffreys had a cousin just like him namely sir j trevor master of the Rolls. fourteen lord Guildford is member of a family to which i simply despair of doing justice for it is linked with connexations of such marvelous ability, judicial and statesmanlike, as to deserve a small volume to describe it. It contains thirty first class men in near kinship, including Montague's, Sidney's, Herbert's, Dudleys, and others. fifteen. Lord Truro had two able legal brothers, one of whom was chief justice of the Cape of Good Hope, and his nephew is an English judge recently created Lord Penzance. I will here mention Lord littleton Lord Cape of Charles First, although many members of his most remarkable family do not fall within my limits his father the chief justice of north wales married a lady the daughter of sir j walter the chief justice of south wales and also sister of an english judge she bore him lord Keeper Lutterton and sir timothy a judge lord Lutterton's daughter son she married a cousin was sir t Lutterton, the speaker of the house of commons there is therefore abundant reason to conclude that the kinsmen of lord chancellors are far richer in natural gifts than those of the other judges i will now take another test of the existence of hereditary ability it is a comparison of the entries in the column of table one supposing that natural gifts were due to mere accident unconnected with parentage then the entries would be distributed in accordance with the law that governs the distribution of accidents If it be a 100 to 1 against some member of any family within given limits of kinship, drawing a lottery prize, it would be a million to one against three members of the same family doing so, nearly, but not exactly because the size of the family is limited, and a million millions to one against six members doing so. Therefore, if natural gifts were due to mere accident, the first column of table one would have been enormously longer than the second column, and the second column enormously longer than the third. But they are not so there are nearly as many cases of two or three eminent relations as one of eminent relation and as a set-off against the thirty-nine cases that appear in the first column there are no less than fifteen cases in the third it is therefore clear that ability is not distributed at haphazard but that it clings to certain families we will proceed to a third test if genius be hereditary as i assert it to be the characteristics that make a judge ought to be frequently transmitted to his descendants The majority of judges belong to a strongly marked type they are not men who are carried away by sentiment who love seclusion and dreams but they are prominent members of a very different class one that englishmen are especially prone to honour for at least the six lawful days of the week i mean that they are vigorous shrewd practical helpful men glorying the rough and tumble of public life tough in constitution and strong in digestion valuing what money brings aiming at position and influence and desiring to found families the vigour of a judge is testified by the fact that the average age of their appointment in the last three reigns has been fifty-seven the labour and responsibility of the office seem enormous to lookers-on yet these elderly men continue working with ease for many more years their average age of death is seventy-five and they commonly die in harness now are these remarkable gifts and peculiarities inherited by their sons do the judges often have sons who succeed in the same career where success would have been impossible if they had not been gifted with the special qualities of their fathers the best answer is a list of names it will be of much interest to legal readers others can glance over them and go on to the results the list is provided judges of england and other high legal officers between 1660 and 1865 who were or are related it includes fathers sons brothers and grandfathers Out of the 286 judges, more than one in every nine of them have been either father, son, or brother to another judge, and the other high legal relationships have been even more numerous. There cannot then remain a doubt, but that the particular type of ability that is necessary to a judge is often transmitted by descent. The reader must guard himself against the supposition that because the judges have so many legal relations, therefore they have few other relations of eminence in other walks of life a long list might be made out of those who had bishops and archbishops for kinsmen no less than ten judges of whom one sir robert hyde appeared in the previous list have a bishop or an archbishop for a brother of these sir william dolben was brother to one archbishop of york and son of the sister of another namely of john williams who was also the lord keeper to james first there are cases of poet relations as cowper Coleridge, milton sir thomas overbury and waller there are numerous relatives who were novelists physicians admirals and generals my list of kinsmen at the end of this chapter are very briefly treated but they include the names of many great men whose deeds have filled large volumes it is one of my most serious drawbacks in writing this book to feel that names which never now present themselves to my eye without associations of respect and reverence for the great qualities of those who bore them are likely to be insignificant and meaningless to the eyes of most of my readers indeed to all those who have never had occasion to busy themselves with their history i know how great was my own ignorance of the character of the great men of previous generations therefore i occupied myself with the biographies and i therefore reasonably suspect that many of my readers will be no better informed about them than i was myself a collection of men that i have learned to look upon as an august Valhalla, is likely to be regarded by those who are strangers to the facts of biographical history as an assemblage of mere respectabilities the names of north and Montagu among the judges introduce us to a remarkable breed of eminent men set forth at length in the genealogical tree of the Montagues, and again in that of the sidneys literary men to whose natural history if the expression be permitted a few pages may be profitably assigned there is hardly a name in those pedigrees which is not more than ordinarily eminent many are illustrious they are closely tied together in their kinship and they extend through ten generations the main roots of this diffused ability lie in the families of sydney and montagu and in a less degree in that of north the sydney blood i mean that of the descendants of sir william Sidney and his wife had extraordinary influence in two different combinations first with the dudleys producing in the first generation Sir Philip Sidney and his eminent brother and sister. the second generation, at least one eminent man, and in the third generation, Algernon Sidney, with his able brother and much-be-praised sister. The second combination of the Sidney blood was with the Harringtons, producing in the first generation a literary peer, and Elizabeth, the mother of the large and most remarkable family that forms the chief future in my genealogical table. The Montague blood, as represented by Sir Edward who died in the Tower, 1644 is derived from three distinct sources his great-grandfather lowercase G, uppercase F, was sir john phoenix chief justice of the king's bench his grandfather lowercase G, was john roper attorney general to henry the eighth and his father by far the most eminent of the three was sir edward montagu chief justice of the king's bench sir edward montagu son of the chief justice married elizabeth harrington Of whom i have just spoken and a large family who in themselves and in their descendants became most remarkable to mention only the titles they won in the first generation they obtained two peerages the earldom of manchester and the barony of montagu in the second they obtained two more the earldom of sandwich and the barony of capel in the third five more the dukedom of montagu earldoms of halifax and of essex the barony of guildford and the new barony of capel second creation in the fourth one more the dukedom of manchester the premier in 1701 in the fifth one more the earldom of guildford the second earl of guildford the premier of george iii best known as lord north was in the sixth generation it is wholly impossible for me to describe the characteristics of all the individuals who are jotted down in my genealogical tree i cannot do it without giving a vast deal more room than i can spare but this much i can do and ought to do namely to take those who are most closely linked with the judges and to show that they possess sterling ability and do not hold their high positions by mere jobbery nor obtain their reputations through the accident of birth or circumstances i will gladly undertake to show this although it happens in the present instance to put my cause in a peculiarly disadvantageous light because francis north the lord keeper the first baron Guildford, is the man of all others in the high position identical nearly so with that of a lord chancellor who modern authorities vie in disparaging and condemning those who oppose my theories might say the case of north being lord keeper shows it is impossible to trust official rank as a criterion of ability he was promoted by jobbery and jobbed when he was promoted he inherited family influence not natural intellectual gifts and the same may be said of all the members of this or any other pedigree as i implied before there is another truth in this objection to make it impossible to meet it by a flat contradiction based on a plain and simple statement it is necessary to analyse characters and to go a little into detail i will do this and when it is concluded i believe many of my readers will better appreciate than they did before how largely natural intellectual gifts are the birthright of some families francis north the lord keeper was one of a family of five brothers and one sister the lives of three of the brothers are familiarly known to us through the charming biographies written by another brother roger north their position in the montague family is easily discovered by means of the genealogical tree they fall in the third of those generations i have just described the one in which the family gained one dukedom two earldoms and two baronies their father was of a literary stock continued backwards in one line during no less than five generations the first lord north was an eminent lawyer in the time of queen elizabeth and his son an able man as an ambassador married the daughter of lord chancellor rich his son again who did not live to enjoy the peerage married the daughter of a master of the court of requests and his great great grandsons the intermediate links being more or less distinguished but of whose marriages i know little were the brothers north of whom i am about to speak the father of these brothers was the fourth baron north He was a literary man and among other matters wrote the life of the founder of his family he was an economical man and an exquisitely virtuous and sober in his person the style of his writings was not so bright as that of his father the second baron who was described as full of spirit and flame and who was an author both in prose and verse his poems were praised by walpole the mother of the brothers namely Anne montagu is described by her son as a compendium of charity and wisdom I suspect it was from the fourth baron north that the disagreeable qualities in three of the brothers north were derived such as the priggishness of the lord keeper and that curious saving mercantile spirit that appeared under different forms in the lord keeper the financier, and the master of trinity college i cannot avoid alluding to these qualities for they are prominent features in their characters and find a large place in their biographies in speaking of the lord keeper i think i had better begin with the evil part of his character when that has been omitted and done with the rest of my task will be pleasant and interesting in short the lord keeper is mercilessly handled in respect to his public character lord campbell calls him the most dubious man that had ever held the great seal and says that throughout his whole life he sought and obtained advancement by the meanest arts bishop Burnet calls him crafty and designing lord Macquillay accuses him of selfishness cowardice and meanness i have heard of no writer who commends his public character except his brother who was tenderly attached to him i should say that even lord campbell acknowledges the lord keeper to have been extremely amiable in all his domestic relations and that nothing can be more touching than the account we have of the warm and steady affection between him and his brother who survived to be his biographer i am however no further concerned with the lord keeper's public character than to show that notwithstanding his most unworthy acts to obtain advancement and notwithstanding he had relatives in high offices to help him his own ability and that of his brother's was truly remarkable bishop Burnet says of him that he had not the virtues of his predecessor lord nottingham but he had parts far beyond him however lord campbell descends from this and remarks that a nottingham does not arise above once in a century i will here beg the reader not to be unmindful of the marvellous hereditary gifts of the nottingham or finch family macaulay says his intellect was clear his industry great his proficiency in letters and science respectable and his legal learning more than respectable his brother roger writes thus of the lord keeper's youth it was singular and remarkable in him that together with the study of the law which is thought ordinarily to devour the whole studious time of a young gentleman he continued to pursue his inquiries into all ingenious arts history humanity and languages whereby he became not only a good lawyer but a good historian politician mathematician natural philosopher and i must add musician in perfection the honorary Sir Dudley North, his younger brother, was a man of exceedingly high abilities and vigor. He went as a youth to Smyrna, where his good works are not yet forgotten, and where he made a large fortune. Then returning to England, he became at once a man of the highest note in Parliament as a financer. There was an unpleasant side to his character when young, but he overmastered and outgrew it. Namely, he first showed a strange bent to traffic when at school. Afterwards, he cheated sadly and got into debts. Then he cheated his parents to pay the debts. At last he made a vigorous effort and wholly reformed himself so that his brother concludes his biography in this way if i may be so free as to give my thoughts of his morals i must allow that as to all the mercantile arts and stratagems of trade that could be used to get money from those he dealt with i believe he was not niggard. but as for falsities he was clear as any man living it seems from the same authority that he was a very forward lively and beautiful child at school he did not get on so well with his books as he had an excessive desire for action still his ability was such that a little application went a long way with him he came out a moderate scholar he was a great swimmer and could live in the water for a whole afternoon i mention this because i shall hereafter have occasion to speak of physical gifts not unfrequently accompanying intellectual ones he sometimes left his clothes in charge of a porter below london bridge then ran naked upon the mud shore at the thames up long as high as chelsea for the pleasure of swimming down to his close with the tide and he loved to end by shooting the cascade beneath old london bridge i often marvelled at his feet when i happened to be on the river in a steamer i will now quote macaulay's description of his first appearance in his after life on the stage of english politics speaking in his history of england of the period immediately following the ascension of james the second macaulay says the person on whom devolved the task of devising ways and means was Sir Dudley North younger brother of the lord keeper Dudley North was one of the ablest men of his time he had early in life been sent to the levant where he had long been engaged in mercantile pursuits most men would in such a situation have allowed their faculties to rust for at smyrna and constantinople there were few books and few intelligent companions but the young factor had one of those vigorous understandings which are independent of external aids in his solitude he meditated deeply on the philosophy of trade and thought out by degrees a complete and admirable theory substantially the same with that which a hundred years later was expounded by adam smith north was brought into parliament for banbury and though a new member was the person on whom the lord treasurer chiefly relied for the conduct of financial business in the lower house north's ready wit and perfect knowledge of trade prevailed both in the treasury and the parliament against all opposition the odd members were amazed at seeing a man who had not been a fortnight in the house and whose life had been chiefly passed in foreign countries assume with confidence and discharged with ability all the functions of a chancellor of the Exchequer. He was forty-four years old at the time roger north describes the financial theories of his brother thus one is that trade is not disrupted by his government by nations and kingdoms but is one throughout the whole world as the main sea which cannot be emptied or replenished in one part but the whole more or less would be affected another was concerning money that no nation could want money specie, and they would not abound in it for if a people want money they will give a price for it and then merchants for gain bring it and lay it down before them roger north speaking of sir dudley and of the lord keeper says these brothers lived with extreme satisfaction in each other's society for both had the skill and knowledge of the world as to all affairs relating to their several professions in perfection and each was in indies to the other producing always the richest novelties of which the best understandings are greedy the honorary dr john north master of trinity college cambridge differed in some respects from his brothers and resembled them in others when he was very young and also as he grew up he was of a nice and tender constitution not so vigorous and athletic as most of his brothers were His temper was always reserved and studious if anything so easily seemed to miss in him it was a non-natural gravity which in youth is seldom a good sign for it argues imbecility of body and mind or both but his lay wholly in the former for his mental capacity was vigorous as none more thus he became devoted to study and the whole of his expenditure went to books in other respects he was penurious and hoarding consequently as his brother says he was overmuch addicted to thinking or else he performed it with more labour and tenseness than other men ordinarily do he was in a word the most intense and passionate thinker that ever lived and it was in his right mind this ruined his health his flesh was strangely flaccid and soft his going weak and shuffling often crossed his legs as if it were tipsy his sleep seldom or never easy but interrupted with unquiet and painful dreams the reposes he had were short and by snatches his active spirit had rarely any settlement or rest it is evident that he played foolish tricks with his brain and the result was that he had a stroke and utterly broke up decaying more and more in mind and body until death relieved him at estimate thirty-eight there is no doubt that dr john north deserved more reputation than he has obtained partially owing to his early death and partially to his exceeding sensitiveness in respect to posthumous criticism he left peremptory orders that all his mss should be burnt he appears to have been especially skilled in greek and hebrew scholarship the lord keeper and the master of trinity resembled each other in their painfully shy dispositions and studious tastes the curious money-saving propensities were common to all three brothers the indolent habits of the master of trinity were shared by sir dudley after his return from england who would take no exercise whatever but sat all day either at home or else steering a little sailing vessel on the thames the lord keeper was always fanciful about his health the honorary Mary North, afterwards Lady Spring, was a sister of these brothers, and no less gifted than they Roger North says, "Besides the advantage of her person, she had a superior wit, prodigious memory, and was the most agreeable in conversation. She used to rehearse by heart prolix romances with the substance of speeches and letters, as well as passages, and this with little or no hesitation, but in a continual series of discourse, the very memory of which is to me at this day very wonderful she died not long after the birth of her first child and the child died not long after her roger north the biographer of his brothers from whom i have quoted so much was the author of other works and among them is a memoir on music showing that he had shared the musical faculty that was strongly developed in the lord keeper little is known of his private life he was attorney general to the consort of james there can be no doubt as to his abilities the lives of the north is a work of no ordinary writer it is full of touches of genius and shrewd perception of character roger north seems to have been a most loving and lovable man charles the fifth lord north was the eldest of the family and succeeded to the title but he did not so far as i am aware show signs of genius however he had a daughter whose literary tastes were curiously similar to those of her uncle dr john she was dudley a north who in the words of roger emaciated herself with study whereby she made familiar to her not only the greek and latin but the oriental languages she died early having collected a choice library of oriental works i will conclude this description of the family with a characteristically quaint piece of their biographer's preface rarely the case is memorable for the happy circumstance of a flock so numerous and diffuse as this of the last dudley lord north's was and no one scabby sheep in it the nearest collateral relation of the north family by the montague side is charles hatton their first cousin he is alluded to three times in roger north's lives and each time with the same epithet the incomparable charles hatton why he was so distinguished there is no information but it is reasonable to accept roger north's estimate of his merits so far as to classify him among the gifted members of the montague family i will mention only four more of the kinsmen of the norths the first is their great uncle, Sir Henry Montague, Chief Justice of the King's Bench, and created Earl of Manchester, who was grandfather to James Montague. Upper class C lower H, upper class B upper class E, G O three, and uncle of William Upper Class C lower class H, upper B Upper E J both of whom are included in my list lord clarendon says of sir henry that he was a man of great industry and sagacity in business which he delighted in exceedingly and preserved so great a vigour of mind even to his death that some who had known him in his younger years did believe him to have much quicker parts in his age than before the second earl of manchester lower g up n to the north, was the baron kimbleton of marston Moor, and as lord campbell says one of the most distinguished men who appeared in the most interesting period of our history having as lord kimballton vindicated the liberties of his country in the senate as earl of manchester in the field and having afterwards mainly contributed to the suppression of anarchy by the restoration of the royal line the first earl of sandwich also lower g up end to the norths was a gallant high admiral of england in the time of charles second he began life as a soldier when only eighteen years of age with a parliamentary regiment that he himself had raised and he ended it in a naval battle against the dutch in southwold bay he also translated a spanish work on metallurgy i do not know that the book is of any value but the fact is worthy of notice as showing that he was more than a mere soldier or sailor the last of the eminent relations of the norths of whom i shall speak at length was the great-grandson of the eldest brother who became the famous premier the lord north of the time of the american war lord browham says that all contemporaries agree in representing his talents as having shone with a great and steady lustre during that singularly trying period he speaks of a wit that never failed him and a sorvety of temper that could never be ruffled as peculiar qualities in which he and indeed all his family his immediate family excelled most other men the admirable description of lord north by his daughter lady charlotte lindsay that is appended to his biography by lord browham is sufficient proof of that lady's high ability there is yet another great legal family related to the norths whose place in the pedigree i do not know is that of the hydes and includes the illustrious first earl of clarendon it appears that lord chief justice hyde used to take kindly notice of the lord keeper francis north when a young rising barrister and alluded to his kinship and called him cousin it is want of space not want of material that compels me to conclude the description of the able relatives of the norths and Montagues but i am sure that i have said enough to prove the assertion with which i prefaced it that natural gifts of an exceedingly high order were inherited by a very large number of the members of the family and that these owed their reputations to their abilities and not to family support another test of the truth of the hereditary character of ability is to see whether the near relations of very eminent men are more frequently eminent in those who are more remote Table 2, page 61, answers this question with great distinctness in the way I have already explained. It shows that the near relations of the judges are far richer in ability than the more remote, so much so that the fact of being born in the fourth degree of relationship is of no sensible benefit at all. The data from which I obtain con C of the table are as follows. I find that 23 of the judges are reported to have had large families, say consisting of four adult sons in each, 11 are simply described as having issue say at the rate of one point five sons each and that the number of the sons of others are specified as amounting between them to one hundred eighty six forming thus far a total of two hundred ninety four in addition to these there are nine reported marriages of judges in which no allusion is made to children and there are thirty-one judges in respect to whom nothing is said about marriage at all i think we are fairly justified from these data in concluding that each judge's father on an average do not less than one son who lives in an age at which he might have distinguished himself if he had the ability to do so i also find the adult families to consist on average of not less than two point five sons and two point five daughters each consequently each judge has an average of one point five brothers and two point five sisters from these data it is perfectly easy to reckon the number of kinsmen in each order thus the nephews consist of the brothers sons and the sisters sons Now, 100 judges are supposed to have 150 brothers and 250 sisters, and each brother and each sister to have, on the average, only one son. Consequently, the 100 judges will have 150 plus 250 or 400 nephews. I need not trouble the reader with more figures. Suffice it to say, I have divided the total number of eminent kinsmen to 100 judges by the number of kinsmen in each degree, and from that division I obtain the column D in Table 2 which i now project into a genealogical tree in table three table three is displayed on the page percentage of eminent men in each degree of kinship to the most gifted member of distinguished families it will be observed that table three refers only to distinguished families if we modified it to correspond with column e of table two in which all the judges whether they have distinguished relations or no are considered The proportion between the eminent kinsmen in each different degree would be unchanged, though their absolute numbers will be reduced to about one-third of their value. Table 3 shows, in the most unmistakable manner, the enormous odds that a near kinsman has over one that is remote in the chance of inheriting ability. Speaking roughly, the percentages are quartered at each successive remove, whether by descent or collaterally. Thus, in the first degree of kinship the percentage is about 28, in the second about 7, in the third one point five the table also testifies to another fact in which people do not commonly believe it shows that when we regard the averages of many instances the frequent sports of nature in producing prodigies must be regarded as apparent and not as real ability in the long run does not suddenly start into existence and disappear with equal abruptness but rather it rises in a gradual and regular curve out of the ordinary level of family life the statistics show that there is a regular average increase of ability in the generations that precede its culmination and as regular a decrease in those that succeed it in the first case the marriages have been consentient to its production in the latter they have been incapable of preserving it after three successive dilutions of the blood the descendants of the judges appear incapable of rising to eminence these results are not as surprising even when compared with the far greater length of kinship through which features of diseases may be transmitted ability must be based on a triple footing every leg of which has to be firmly planted in order that a man should inherit ability in the concrete he must inherit three qualities that are separate and independent of one another he must inherit capacity zeal and vigor for unless these three or at the very least two of them are combined he cannot hope to make a figure in the world the probability against inheriting a combination of three qualities not correlated together is necessarily in a triplicate proportion greater than it is against inheriting any one of them. There is a marked difference between the percentage of ability in the grandsons of the judge when his sons, the fathers of those grandsons, have been eminent than when they have not. Let us suppose that the son of a judge wishes to marry. What expectation has he that his own sons will become eminent men? supporters of his family and not a burden to it in their after life in the case where the son of the judge is himself eminent i found out of the 226 judges previous to the present reign 22 whose sons have been distinguished men i do not count instances in the present reign because the grandsons of these judges are for the most part too young to have achieved distinction 22 out of 226 gives 10 in 100 as a percentage of the judges that have distinguished sons. The reader will remark how near this result is to the 9.5 as entered in my table, showing the general truth of both estimates. Of these 22, I count the following triplets. The Atkins family has two. It is true that the grandfather was only Chief Justice of North Wales, and not an English judge, but the vigour of the blood is proved by the line of not only his son and two grandsons being english judges but also by the grandson of one of them through the female line being an english judge also another line is that of the pratt's viz the chief justice and his son the lord chancellor earl camden and his grandson the son of the earl created the Marquis camden the latter was chancellor of the university of cambridge and a man of note in many ways another case is the york line for the son of the lord chancellor the earl of hardwick was charles york himself a lord chancellor his sons were able men one became first lord of the admiralty another was bishop of Ely. a third was a military officer of distinction and created baron dover a fourth was an admiral of distinction i would not count all these but will reckon them as three favourable instances the total thus far is six to which might be added in fairness something from that most remarkable montague family and its connections of which several judges both before and after the ascension of charles i were members However, wish to be well within bounds, and therefore will claim only six successes out of the twenty-two cases. I allow one son to each judge as before, or one in four. Even under these limitations, it is only four to one on the average against each child of an eminent son of a judge becoming a distinguished man. Now for the second category, where the son is not eminent, but the grandson is there are only seven of these cases to the x-22 or two hundred and four judges that remain and one or two of them are not of very high order they are the third earl shaftesbury author of the characteristics Cowper, the poet lord lekmere the attorney general sir uppercase w lower m mansfield commander-in-chief in india sir eardley Wilmot, who filled various officers with credit and was created a baronet and lord windham lord chancellor of ireland fielding the novelist was grandson of judge gould by the female line hence it is two hundred and four to seven or thirty to one against the non eminent son of a judge having an eminent child these figures in these two categories are clearly too few to justify us in relying on them except so far as to show that the probability of a judge having an eminent grandson is largely increased if his sons are also eminent it follows that the sons or daughters of distinguished men who are themselves gifted with decidedly high ability as tested at the university or elsewhere cannot do better than marry early in life if they have a large family the odds are in their favour that one at least of their children will be eminently successful in life and will be a subject of pride to them and a help to the rest let us for a moment consider the bearing of the facts just obtained on the theory of an aristocracy where able men earn titles and transmit them by descent through the line of their eldest male representatives the practice may be justified on two distinct grounds on the one hand the future peer is reared in a home full of family traditions that form his disposition on the other hand he is presumed to inherit the ability of the founder of the family the former is a real justification for the law of primogeniture as applied to titles and possessions. The latter, as we see from the table, is not a man who has no able ancestor nearer in blood to him than a great-grandparent is inappreciably better off in the chance of being himself gifted with ability than if he had been taken out of the general mass of men. An old peerage is a valueless title to natural gifts, except so far as it may have been furbished up by a succession of wise intermarriages when however as is often the case the direct line has become extinct and the trust to a distant relative who has not been reared in the family traditions the sentiment that is attached to its possession is utterly unreasonable i cannot think of any claim to respect put forward in modern days that is so entirely an imposture as that made by a peer on the ground of descent who has neither been nobly educated nor has any eminent kinsman within three degrees i will conclude this chapter with a few facts i have derived from my various jottings concerning the natural history of judges it appears that the parentages of the judges in the last six reigns viz since the accession of george I, is as follows reckoning in percentages noble honourable or baronet but not judges nine landed gentleman thirty five judge barrister or attorney fifteen bishop or clergyman eight medical seven merchants and various unclassed ten tradesmen seven unknown nine there is therefore no very marked class peculiarity in the origin of the judges they seem to be derived from much the same sources as the scholars of our universities with a decided but not excessive preponderance in favour of legal parents i also thought it worth while to note the order in which the judges stood in their several families to see whether ability affected the eldest more than the youngest or if any important fact of the kind might appear i find in my notes that i have recorded the order of the birth of seventy-two judges the result of the percentages is that the judge was an only son in eleven cases eldest in seventeen second in thirty-eight third in twenty-two fourth in nine fifth in one and of yet later birth in two instances it is clear that the eldest sons do not succeed as judges half as well as their cadets i suppose that social influences are on the whole against their entering or against their succeeding at the law End of chapter 6 of Hereditary Genius